We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to talk about Elijah. Say amen if you're ready. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Since we're dedicating babies this morning, I recommend you never name a kid Jezebel. Everybody's going to look squinty-eyed at you. Elijah had done and and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no, long, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You can complain really quickly, can't you? The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go over to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, help us to see what we have thankful for it. Help us not to live in a mentality of lack, but God, help us to recognize what you have done and what you are doing and the faithfulness to trust you for what you will do. Lord, you promised if we looked into your word, you'd renew our mind, and we pray you do that today. Jesus' mighty name, we pray, and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Elijah was a prophet, and he had just, in the chapter before this, you read, he had just scored a giant victory 
for the Lord. Ahab and Jezebel were about as evil people as you could possibly be. Satan, Satanist. Uh, they had encouraged the prophets of Baal at that time. It's about 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah feels like he's the only prophet of the living God. And so there was a drought and a famine. And everything was a bit chaotic. People were suffering. And we have a duel in the chapter before. Elijah brings the prophets of Baal together and says, why don't you call down fire from your gods and I'll call down fire from mine. We'll see who's listening. So the prophets of Baal build an altar, put a sacrifice on it, and they call down all morning. About noon, Elijah starts talking smack. I love a good smack talker. He starts talking smack. He said, maybe they're busy. Pray harder. Maybe, they, maybe they're doing something else. Keep praying. And they were they worked themselves into a frenzy. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and nothing happened. Elijah stands up, builds an altar, puts a sacrifice on the altar, puts wood on it. But then, then he starts showing off a little bit. He gets the people in a drought to bring water. They soak the wood. They dig a moat around it and fill the whole moat up with water. Elijah prays to the living God, the one and only God. And the Bible says that the fire came down so strong and so hot in an instant that it burned up the sacrifice, the wet wood, and the rocks. I don't know about you, but that's hot. That's hotter than I've ever seen fire. And it says it licked up all the water around it. We can imagine the response of the prophets of Baal. They had worked out a deal beforehand. If I win, I really win. And so they capture all the prophets of Baal. They take them, and the Bible says they slaughter 450 of them. Remember, we're in the Old Testament. No grace. You're going to die today. This was an amazing victory for Elijah. It was, it was a sign that he indeed was a prophet called by God, anointed by God, and God was listening to him. If there's ever anything you want to be confident of in your life, it's that God is listening to you. So he prays not a long-winded prayer, pontificating on all the things. No, he just prays. God seals a victory for him. And then we turn, in, then we turn to the irony of the whole situation. Ahab goes back to Jezebel, tells her all the stuff that just happened, and Jezebel puts a 24-hour bond on his life. She's going to send the hitman out for him. She says, if by this time tomorrow he's not dealt with, you can deal with me. If he's not like those prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow, deal with me severely. You can imagine how Elijah felt. So we find out that he dumps his servant. I got a sneaky feeling that Elijah wanted to have a pity party and the servant may have trusted God. And it's terrible to want a pity party with somebody who has faith. Isn't it? So he dumps the servant. I don't want to hear you tell me I'm a prophet. I don't want to hear you tell me I'm okay. I don't want to hear you tell me God's going to make it. I don't want to hear you tell me that. So he dumps the servant. Climbs under a broom bush 
and hope hopes he dies. Only to be suddenly wakened by the smell of fresh baked bread. <laughs> Somehow an angel, Elijah didn't even call for room service. Somehow an angel, he's just laying down trying to die. Somehow an angel comes down, sent from God, whips up some nice unleavened bread and, uh, and gets some hot rocks, cooks the bread on it, brings him some water. He says, wake up, Elijah, you need to eat. The journey's too great for you, you need some strength. Elijah goes back to sleep, wakes him up again, says, eat some more, man. The journey's too great for you, you gotta, you gotta get some energy. So he eats some more. He travels 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount of Horeb. Sleeps in a cave. God calls him out of the cave and says, what are you doing here? And Elijah goes, well, I've been very jealous for you. And I'm the only one left. Giant winds come on the mountain. It's not God. Earthquake. It's not God. Fire comes. It's not God. And then Elijah hears God whispering to him. Covers his face because he's He's not supposed to look directly at God, covers his face, walks out to the cave. And God asks him the same question, what are you doing here? Mark Batterson, who's a New York Times bestselling author, pastor at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and has done unbelievable work there, has a phrase that I like. He says, a change of pace plus a, plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. A change of pace plus a, plus a change of place equals a change in perspective. Now, I, I travel a decent amount every year. I, I take long flights to Kenya and come back. We, I went to Kenya this year. We went to Spain as well on missions trips. And so what my wife and I figured out and what I figured out is um, when I'm up on the plane, most planes 35,000 feet, somewhere around there. And uh, you're traveling about 500 miles an hour a lot of times. What I like to do is when we're over land, I like to look down and see the land. And I just like to see how it looks from that far up. Because what I realize is, and what I start thinking about, is there's a whole bunch of people down there. And they're all doing things. And they've got problems. And, they, and they've got all these things going on and all these intricacies of life and all these, and all these things happening to them. But I'm so far up. I don't even care. Anybody else, anybody else ever experienced that? You're like, look at all those people down there dealing with life's problems, and I ain't got nothing better to do than watch a movie. It feels so good. Matter of fact, uh, when we went to Spain this year, my wife and I, I said, you know what? I am almost more recovered from this trip than when we go on vacation. And she said, me too. And the reason why is we had a nine-hour flight where I couldn't get a phone call. She said, if I read, I get sick. And so I just had to sit there and do nothing. You can't get out. You can only go to the bathroom so many times. You're just going to sit there. But when you look out, you realize your perspective is totally different from anyone else on the planet. 
Because you're not in the mess anymore. You're above it. You know what? Some of our problem in our lives is that we never get out of the mess enough to see what's really going on. You know the old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. In the business world, they say, um, you can't work on it because you're too busy working in it. And a lot of our a lot of our perspective problems is because we've been laying under a broom bush for a long time. We're like Elijah. We've just been laying under a broom bush. There are problems in our lives that we're just laying under there, hoping and wishing they'd take care of themselves, hoping and wishing they'd, they'd be alleviated, hoping and wishing God would come down and just sprinkle fairy dust in it and everybody would like us and your kids would act like they're supposed to act like and, 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 your, and your wife, that, that's not good. Um, um, that, that it would just wall work out. And what you find out is, as long as you're down in there, all you can see is that. All you can see is that. So I talked to our staff about the importance of, of changing your perspective, of getting up above the issues, up above the problems, up, up out of the problems so you can actually see what is really going on. Amen? And so you have to you have to change your pace, change your place to get a different perspective. And I'm so thankful that God taught this, taught this lesson through Elijah's life. Because what does he do? Elijah goes down, lays under the tree. And he doesn't, he doesn't come up with a long list of, Lord, you've been so good to me. Lord, you, you, you called me out as a prophet. You, you've, you've protected me. You've, you, you've given me your word. You, you gave me this. You, you let me do miracles beyond, beyond explanation. You, you let me, you've let me conquer the prophets of Baal in, a, in an unbelievable display of your power. And Lord, you brought me room service. You know how expensive that is? You brought me room service, Lord. He doesn't start there. He is stuck down where he can't see anything else. All he can see, all he can think about, all he can meditate on is that I went from one problem to the next, to the next, to the next, and now Jezebel wants to kill me. What am I going to do? I'm the only one left. If you find yourself there today, the best thing you can do is get a different perspective. How many of you are Glass half full people. Glass half full people. We are in trouble. Okay, glass half full people. Look over the glass half empty and just say, if you could just be quiet the rest of my life, I think we'll be okay. Just shh, 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 Because the issue is, if you're down under the broom bush, you need somebody to call you up higher. Because your perspective will never change until your elevation changes. So God took, God did not leave Elijah under the broom bush. He said, get some strength in you because the journey I'm about to take you on is going to need some energy. And I need you to come up out of that place so I can show you something. Because your situation is almost never what it seems to be. Your husband ain't that bad. Your wife ain't that bad. Your kids ain't that bad. Your job ain't that bad. 
You're like, well, you never seen my, you never seen my wife. If you're talking to me like that, I wouldn't want to be your wife either. God didn't tell Elijah to stay in the valley. He instructed him to go to the mountain. He was trying to bring him up. And I need to tell you this. You only see what you're focused on. And so if you're running around with blinders all the time, just looking at the trouble you're in, just looking at the hard times that you're walking through, just looking at the difficulties of life, you will stay down there. But God never wants you to stay there. He always wants you to come up where he is so you can see what he sees. And so he calls him up. You got to get another viewpoint. You have to get another viewpoint. Look at your neighbor and say, I like hanging out with you, but you're not high enough for me. No, 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 don't say that. <laughs> Just realize that was. You're too high for me. I got to go up where God is. <laughs> we, uh, we're talking about spirit of lack. In America, we deal with this mindset. I mean, we are blessed beyond any country on the planet ever in the history of mankind. We're wearing more wealth on us today than anybody would ever even imagine. A four or $500 watch is not even a big deal anymore. Do you remember growing up as a kid, somebody had a $500 watch, you were like, ooh. Now you're like, oh, you got the... Apple II watch? Obviously, you're not upgrading enough. We wear more wealth than any country on the planet has ever even imagined. And yet, we still operate like we don't have enough. We operate from the mindset of lack. And so, we, we build a house and we fill it up and we say, well, if I had, if I, it's not that I'm not thankful, but if I had, we buy a car and a year later, man, if I had... As if, the, as if the, the calling of God always depends on us getting something else. It's like, it's like we never have enough. If I had this, if I had this, if I had this, if I had this. And it's, it's, an, it's an unsustainable thing, really. In case you haven't looked lately, it's totally unsustainable. So here's my theory. If you're not thankful, it will never be enough. If you're not thankful, it will never be enough. Look at Elijah's life. He was called by God, empowered by God. He had just done, he would say it's not going to rain and it didn't rain. He would call down fire from heaven and it would obliterate everything anybody had ever witnessed before. And yet there wasn't thanksgiving in his heart. So guess what? It wasn't enough. God had protected him to that point, given him victory. He provided for him. He said, all you have to do is wake up and eat the food I already made for you. Heat the rocks up and cook the bread. Just eat it. And what you find missing from his lips is any amount of gratitude whatsoever. He didn't say, I mean, I mean, thanks, God. It's not exactly where I'd like to be, but thanks anyway. He just starts going, Well, I'm the only one. Look, I've, I've been so zealous for you. I've done all these things. And yet, I'm the only one left. And this woman is trying to kill me. No gratitude whatsoever. 
No thanksgiving whatsoever. No lifting up his voice to praise the God who had brought him this far. Nothing was coming out of his mouth that could even resemble thanksgiving in his situation. could resemble a heart of gratitude. And so what did God have to do? I can't leave you there because I still need you to do some things. So I've got to bring you up to recalibrate the way you're thinking. And if you're not thankful, it will never be enough. It doesn't matter what I get. I'm always going to want something else. I believe we're thankful our marriages would last longer. Uh, You know what the best way to improve your marriage right now, instantly, in the next 30 seconds, is to find somebody to be thankful about the dirt bag you're married to. I mean, that's what you're thinking. There was laughs, but not a lot of amens. If you could stop for 30 seconds complaining about dinner and be thankful that you're eating, maybe she stopped burning it on purpose. Oh, you thought she wasn't a bad cook. Every time you sit down, you're like, well, I wish we'd have had this. Yeah, all right, turn it up another notch. He'll get it this time. You don't complain your way out into contentment. You thank your way into contentment. You don't complain your way into a new mentality. You don't complain your way into a new perspective. You thank your way into a new perspective. Listen, you will never complain your way into a good marriage. You will never complain your way into obedient kids. You will never complain your way into a successful family. You will never complain your way into it. The Bible says that a complaining spouse, (laughs) I got to be careful. It does say gender, but I'm going to just leave it alone. Is like, is like a dripping that happens and won't, it's just, uh, stop it. I'm ready to move out. I'd rather go up and live on the roof than deal with this. But what we've done is we've lost the ability to be thankful when our circumstances are a little complicated. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Elijah's circumstances were perfect. If somebody put a hit out on me, I'd be a little worried too. I'm not saying they were perfect, but it didn't mean he couldn't be thankful. I'm not saying your marriage is perfect, but it doesn't mean you can't be thankful. I'm not saying your kids are perfect. Believe me, I know they're not. I got some of my own. But it doesn't mean I can't be thankful. I'm not saying your spouse, your job, your boss, your yard, your dog, your cat. I got a cat and that thing's from the devil. And I'm just trying. My wife's like, you need to be thankful. I'm like, I'm trying. That thing better be thankful that you're still in the house or things will be turning out different. If you're not thankful, it'll never be enough. can imagine God looking down going, I just gave you the biggest victory anybody's ever seen over these prophets and you can't utter one ounce of thankfulness from that situation. You're going to crawl under this tree and complain that I haven't provided for you. You're going to crawl under this bush and complain that I haven't been with you, that you're the only one left, that I don't have a plan. 
See, because when we complain, we are indicating that God doesn't have a plan. Like he's caught off guard by the whole thing. Well, we killed the prophets of Baal, but I didn't expect Jezebel to do that. How about he may have already known she was going to do that? He's God. It's his job to know what's going to happen. And so thankfulness doesn't come from the idea that it's, that it's all going perfect. Thankfulness comes from the idea that he is faithful, his love endures forever, that he will never leave me or forsake me, that he figured it out from the, from the beginning of time. Before I was formed in my mother's womb, the Bible says that he knew already all these things. And so I'm not being thankful because everything's perfect. I'm being thankful because he's got a plan. Amen? And so if I'm not thankful, it'll never be enough. The car won't be enough. The house won't be enough. The wife won't be enough. It'll just never be enough. How many victories do I need to give you, Elijah? Before you're finally thankful. And as Americans, we're always setting the bar one, just a little bit further. Lord, if I could get the, if I could, Lord, the new watch came out. If you love me. If you love me. Somebody was saying the other day, how big is our TV? 50 inches, maybe something like that. All of you, all of you are like, oh, oh, he's got a cute little 50 inch TV. Oh, some of you are older than me, but I remember watching a 19 inch TV that I had to stand in front of and make my dad made me turn the channel and then dial it in so we could get the thing. We had to prop the front door of the trailer open to get any signal. Fifty-inch TV. I heard a friend talking about. Man, you know they got seventy-inch TVs on sale for five hundred bucks. <laughs> what websites it on? Let me, let's let's get it. Let's get it. Why? Because I'm not thankful for what I got. Because when I'm thankful for what I've got, I can be content where I am. I can be content with Jezebel chasing me because God's already got a plan. I can be content with defeating the prophets of Baal. I can be content with that whole circumstance because not my will but yours be done. I can be content because I'm thankful. And if you're not thankful, it'll never be enough. Your wife will never be good enough. Your husband will never work hard enough. Your kids will never obey enough because you're not thankful. If Elijah would have stood up and said, God, you got this, I, think it, I, think it, I don't think he'd ever been under that tree. But he was, and God took him up a little higher and showed him what it really looked like. Let's, let's look at that. Thankfulness will cause you to see what God has already worked out. <laughs> let's read that. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. By the way, God needs to get you to a place where you can hear a whisper. And as long as you stay in the chaos of life, you'll never hear it. Sometimes he's trying just to get you to look into his word enough. Spend enough time in the morning with, without the TV on, without the kids running. Get up early. You're like, oh, you want me to get up earlier? Get up earlier than everybody else and go, I'm at a higher place than I typically am, and now I can hear you whisper to me. Because in the roar of everyday life, God is proving that he's not going to compete with it. 
He's saying, I'm going to take you up where I can whisper in your ear so you know what the deal is. Anytime he wants to say something to you important, he gives you a different perspective. When he wanted to take Moses and, and lead the children of Israel, when he, he said, listen, I'm going to give you the way you should live. What did he do? He didn't tell him to stay down the valley with all the other people. He said, come up and leave all the people down there. I need to talk to you and I'm not going to yell. And he couldn't talk to Moses down at the bottom because all the people were complaining and Moses would have been arguing with Aaron whether they should make a golden calf or not. So when he wanted to tell him something really important, he said, I need to change your perspective for you. I need you to quiet yourself. I need you to get up higher than everybody else. The chaos is going down there. There are people they are going to complain. They're going to, they're going to be sideways every now and then. I need you up here because I need you to listen. And the problem is we never separate ourselves enough to listen. Because God's always whispering. But we're down in the bottom. Chasing me. God said, hey, get up here high enough to where I can whisper to you. So he whispers to him. But ain't nothing changed. Then a voice said to him, same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? I think God was testing him. Has it gotten it yet? He asked him the same exact question. I thought, I already answered that. Maybe coming up a little higher has given him a perspective change, but not yet. What are you doing here, Elijah? He repeats the exact same thing. He's stuck. I ain't got enough. I ain't got enough, Lord. Mentality of lack. I, I can't do it anymore. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. You know what's funny about this? It's like God didn't hear him the first time. Like, I, like he had to repeat himself. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I love verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. You know what's the problem in our society with poor perspectives? We entertain them. I'll say it this way. We have pity for people who think the wrong way. God changes their mind about it. God never looked at Elijah and said, man, I, I know where you're coming from. It's tough. And I, I, know, I know it's hard. I, I know it's so difficult. He doesn't even engage him in the complaining. He doesn't pat him on the back and go, oh man, it's fine. Just get it all out. He doesn't say any of that. Elijah, for the second time, says, I'm the only one here. I've been so, so zealous for you. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. There's no one else. And now they're trying to kill me. I'm the only one left. Hey, go back the way you came and all this stuff's going to happen. I already got it worked out. I think we need to stop propping up bad perspectives in the church by acting like they're okay to think that way. And, and listen, it might sound a little bit abrupt, but what we are doing is we're sealing our own fate. When we put our arm around somebody and go, oh man, I understand what you're going through. I understand why you think that way. I understand, I understand. I know we're supposed to have sympathy for people, but sympathy to a certain point just continues the progression of the thought process. God does not entertain the bad thinking. He's not entertaining it. Matter of fact, he doesn't even acknowledge he said it. He said it twice to him now, and he says, 
Oh, okay. Well, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go to a spa and just relax and just take it easy because it's so stressful. Man, he doesn't say, just go out and shoot something. You'll feel a lot better. Don't do that. He says, do my will. Stop complaining and do what I ask you to do. Wow. God's not playing around. I brought you up here to whisper in your ear. The way out of the way you think is do what I told you to do. The way out of the way you think is be thankful that I've kept you. Be thankful that I've got a plan for you even when you didn't see it. Be thankful that I worked it all out already. So what does he tell him? Go back the way you came and go over to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat over Abel Mahalah. To succeed you as prophet, Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all who have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He said, you had the wrong perspective from the very beginning. I had this thing worked out from the beginning. And you could have spared yourself all the anxiety and all the, all the worry and all the fear if you'd have just had a heart of thanksgiving towards me. If you'd have just said, man, I think you've got this all under control. Thank you for working it all out, Lord. But you didn't. Hey, by the way, by the way, Elijah, you've never been alone. You've never been alone. You've never been alone. Let me ask you this. Have you ever complained about something to God and then 30 seconds later figured out he had already figured it out for you? I hate that. You pray, you pray, all this anxiety and you pray. And here's the mistake. Oh, I'm going to tread on dangerous ground right here. Here's the mistake. You pray out of anxiety and you think your prayer changed what God did. The thing you should be thinking is that your prayer made you aware of what God had already done. He didn't change his mind because you were praying. He was doing what he was doing, and prayer let you see what he was doing. So here's what we think. We think, oh, I'm so anxious. I'm going to pray, and I don't have enough, so I'm going to pray, and somehow God's going to hear my prayer, and then he's going to, because I'm anxious, he's going to fix everything for me. And so what it does is it reinforces you being anxious and then praying because of it. Because if I repeat the cycle, then God does what I want. That's not what happened here. He was complaining and God said, let me show you to shut you up. You were never alone. 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 There were 7,000 people. He didn't say there was three more people. He said there were 7,000. It wasn't even close. Yeah, but God, I mean, one out of 7,000 were close to being alone. If he said four, no, there's four more. I'd have been like, dude, that's all you could muster up was four? No, he said 7,000, you were never alone. Could you have had any amount of gratitude for me in faith that I'd already worked it out? Faith that I'd already worked it out. Because your perspective has to change. Thankfulness brings a change of perspective. The band's going to come. We're going to hurry up, stand to your feet. I want to give you what perspective does what thanksgiving does. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, let's read it together. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. You know why that's so important? Because Paul wrote Ephesians at the same time he wrote Philippians, what we talked about last week. He was in prison at Rome. He wasn't laying around in prison going, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only, I'm the only apostle left and it's woe is me, woe is me. No, he had been high enough for God to give him a different perspective on life and he knew that thanksgiving was the key to finding out what God was planning for him. And so when you read Paul's writing, it's totally different from Elijah's life. When you read Paul's writing, he says, every time, every time, every time, I don't care if I'm in chains, I don't care if I'm in prison. You know the way out of this? To get the right perspective, I've got to thank my way out of it. I've got to get higher than my situation. And thankfulness will do that to me. So he encourages the churches, every time he writes a letter, you better be thankful. You better be thankful. You better be thankful. If you want this church thing to work, you better be thankful. If you want this family thing to work, you better be thankful. If you want this job thing to work, you better be thankful. If you want to make sense out of suffering, you better be thankful. It's two two different perspectives. And I believe today God wants to bring you up high enough where you can get the right one. So can we do that together? I want to pray a blessing over you this morning. But I want to pray that you that you get into a place where you can hear the whisper of God and he can teach you that we can be thankful even in the middle of of difficult times. That there is nothing you need that he is not willing to supply. There's nothing you need that he is not willing to supply right now. Father, we thank you. Jesus' mighty name. In every circumstance, we lift up a thanksgiving to you knowing that you've already worked it out. That we're not alone. That we're, that we're not, that, that it's not that we don't have enough. You said you'd provide no matter, you said that you'd keep us and you'd be with us and that you're for us and that you, that you have enough resources to get us where you want us to go. So we ask you this morning, Lord, to put a heart of gratitude in us. Let us make the decision to be thankful. Lord, so we can see your plan for our lives, so we can see where you're taking us. Let us lead with thanksgiving today. Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, give him praise this morning. He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody as you're leaving. The glass is half full. We'll see you back here next week.